guys, my name is Eden Richardson and I'm the Discipleship Director here at First Baptist Rock Hill. Thank you for tuning in to this week's message from our pastor. We are so excited for what God's going to teach you through His Word today. Be sure to also like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we can't wait to see what God does in your life through this message. Did you enjoy singing those Christmas carols? Yeah, we, we don't get to sing them year round. We sing them at Christmas and they're absolutely beautiful. When, when I was a kid growing up and anticipating Christmas, we didn't sing those songs. Um, in our home, and you know, what I liked as a kid was up on the rooftop, up on the housetop, Reindeer Paul, you know, down through the chimney. You remember that song? Or uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We, we didn't sing the Christmas carols. It was, it was music like that that we would listen to. And, and, uh, and, and part of my excitement getting ready for Christmas every year was, you know, telling mom and dad what I wanted for Christmas. And how many of you remember the days when we actually shopped using real catalogs? And they were thick. The Christmas catalog, you know, the Sears and Roebuck catalog, Montgomery Ward, Spiegel. Um, and it was just a different day. And you'd sit at the kitchen table and go through every page and all of those catalogs circling, you know, pointing out to mom and dad what you, what you wanted for, for Christmas. Or growing up on the farm, go out in the woods and cut down a cedar tree for our Christmas tree. And you know, fill a bucket with rocks to, you know, put that tree in there and put rocks around it to hold it up and put water in so it hopefully wouldn't dry out too badly before Christmas arrived. And on and on, you know, watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, and you had to be in front of the television at 8 o'clock, 8.30, whatever time they came on, that one time of the year they came on that one station, that one network you got, and if you missed it, you had to wait till next year to see it. It was all part of my Christmas, but Jesus, he wasn't part of it. In fact, all the years I was growing up, we, we talked very little about Jesus. He had very little of anything to do with how we celebrated Christmas because we didn't know him. And I really think the way we celebrated Christmas when I was a kid is, is more similar to how most people in America celebrate Christmas today. Jesus just isn't part of it. We didn't know him. It was when I was in high school that my sister and brother and I started going to church and you know, became believers and so on. And then when I was a junior in high school, my mom became a believer. But before that, we weren't. But once we became believers, everything changed. You know, our, our lives changed how Christmas felt changed. We still did, you know, all the secular, still, I still do the secular stuff. I enjoy that. But suddenly Jesus became part of our lives and he became part of celebrating Christmas and it, it took on a different meaning. There, there, was, a, there was a greater beauty and, and more joy and something peaceful that was missing before my relationship with Christ. And then when I hear songs like Silent Night, I love Silent Night. There's just something so beautiful and rich about the words and the message of that song and what it means to me when, when I hear that. And, and that's the reason you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, even in the midst of all the stuff we do, need to make certain that Jesus has a place because this really is his holiday. Chris... It's true that he is the reason we have Christmas and, 
and we celebrate him. So we as believers need to make certain that the people who know us and see us celebrate Christmas, there needs to be something about Jesus in our celebration to honor him and to be a witness to people who watch us celebrate Christmas. And so we're talking about Jesus this month and, and celebrating him. We're reading, starting to read in our Bible reading plan, First and Second Peter. So this month we're looking at some of the things Peter said about Jesus coming. In, in Christian history, it's called Advent, which is just a word that means the coming, the appearance, the arrival. And so a lot of churches use the term Advent. What they're talking about is we want to celebrate Jesus' arrival at Bethlehem when Jesus came the first time. And so last Sunday, we looked in Peter and, and realized that, that he teaches us that Jesus came for us, for our sake, our benefit. He came, he arrived, his Advent was so that he could die on the cross for our sin and make forgiveness and eternal life available and, that, and, and bring us to God, into a relationship with God. And all of this was part of God's eternal forever plan. It wasn't an accident or an afterthought. But Peter in the Bible teaches that there are two advents, two appearances, two arrivals of Jesus. The one we celebrate at Christmas every year happened 2,000 years ago. We talked about that last week. Today, we want to talk about that other advent, that appearance of Jesus that's in the future. It hasn't happened yet. We normally refer to that as the second coming. Peter calls it the revelation of Jesus Christ when he will be revealed from heaven, his next coming. And so we're going to look in First and Second Peter. Go ahead and open your Bible to First Peter. Please let me see your copy of God's Word. You have it with you today? Amen. Bring it with you. First Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look at what he said about the next time Jesus appears. Now, our focus this morning is not on the mechanics of how that happens. Our focus today is on the blessings you and I as disciples will receive when Jesus shows up again. Just like when he came the first time, there were blessings. His dying on the cross, Jesus coming the first time, that appearance blessed us with salvation, with forgiveness of sin, with redemption. On and on we could go, we could talk about the blessings that are ours because of the first time Jesus appeared. But there's also blessings for us. He's going to bless us in several ways when he shows up the next time. And I want to show you from First and Second Peter five blessings that await us at the next advent of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about it for a moment. I want you to think about when Jesus is coming back, his second coming, his revelation. And what does that mean to you? What are you looking forward to? I want you to think in your own mind right now, what is one thing that you are excited about when Jesus shows up the next time? And maybe for some of you, something you're scared of when Jesus comes back and take the next 10 seconds and tell the person beside you what you're either excited about or scared of when Jesus comes the next time. Go ahead and tell them. Take 10 seconds and do that real quickly. Go ahead and talk among yourselves. Let me hear you. Come on. All right, let's look at these five blessings that will be ours when Jesus appears again. The first one is this. Jesus 
is going to honor you for your faithfulness. Now think about that. Jesus is going to honor you, recognize and honor you for your faithfulness to him as his follower. Look in chapter one at verse seven. He says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, the second coming, the appearance, the advent of Jesus Christ. Now, in the earlier verses of chapter one, he talks about the inheritance awaiting us in heaven that is protected by the power of God. And then he says, you are protected. Your soul, your destiny, your salvation, you are also, your inheritance is protected. You are protected. Therefore, when you go through trials, when you go through hard times, challenges, maybe persecution, remain faithful. Because he said, here's what's happening. When you go through a difficult time or even when you're persecuted, your faith is being put to the test is being proven. And the word prove or proven there is the idea of, of testing something to prove or show what it really is. So here's how it works. Here's what he says. As you go through life, the ups and downs of life, the good times, the hard times, the disappointments, the joys, the trials, the persecutions even, God's putting your faith, what you claim to be, to the test in order to show what it really is. And he uses as an illustration gold, refining gold, purifying gold by removing all of the, all of the other stuff, the imperfections, all of the other chemical items and ingredients that can, when they mine it, and, and there's two ways they, they remove, they separate the, the impurities from the gold. And the most common way and the ancient way is through heating it up really hot because gold can stand at a temperature hotter than other impurities. And so you heat it up with fire and the impurities are destroyed, they're separated, and what you have left is just the gold. He says, that's what's happening to your faith in life. You're being put to the test. You're in the fire and God's going to remove, and you're, you're either going to have the impurities removed and your faith is going to grow. And when it's all said and done, what, what's going to be left is true faith, real faith, genuine faith, not, not perfection, but it's going to show your, because you don't quit, you remain faithful, is going to demonstrate your faith is the real deal. Or... The fire is going to show that what you claim was mostly a bunch of impurities with very little gold. Not much faith, if any faith at all. And so life is the testing. It's the proofing. It's going to show what is and what isn't. And then he says in that verse, if through this testing your faith is demonstrated to be the real deal, genuine, it's gold. At the revelation of Jesus, at the next appearance of Jesus, there's going to be praise and honor and glory. Now, the question people ask and debate is who gets that? Is that Jesus or is it praise and honor for us? The truth is, it's both. 
When you live a faithful life as a disciple, your life honors him. And at the second coming, that honors him. But the Bible also teaches at the revelation of Christ, we are going to bask in and share in his glory. And Jesus said, faithful disciples will hear him say when they stand before him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, the Lord is watching us not only to see the times we mess up, but when you're going through challenging times or persecution and you remain true to God and faithful, he says, I see you. I see you. I see your faithfulness. I see you trusting me even when it's hard. I see you. And so, yes, we honor him. But guess what? He notices us and honors us and will say, well done. I saw you. Well done. That's one of the blessings that awaits faithful followers of Jesus. At his second advent, he is going to honor our faithfulness. And can you imagine you or me hearing Jesus say, well done. Wow, what a blessing, what a gift. And there's a second blessing we receive when Jesus comes the next time. He's going, to, he's going to show us even more love than he already has. He's going to show us more love than he already has. Look in chapter one at verse 13. He said, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Always have the attitude that you are ready to act, ready to serve, ready to do. Then he says, keep sober, be sober in spirit. Take your walk with Jesus seriously. Don't be lackadaisical in your faith. Take it seriously. And then he says, fix your hope. It's like, it's like fixing your gaze and staring at something. Fix your hope completely on the grace. Grace is the word for God's unmerited favor, the love he gives us, the favor, the good that he gives us that we don't deserve and haven't earned. Amazing grace loves us despite us. Loves us not because we, deserve, we, we, we earned it. Loves us. And notice what he says here. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought. I brought coffee with me to church this morning. When Jesus comes, he's bringing stuff. And one of the things he's bringing is more grace. The grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ at his next advent. More and more love. I can't imagine he's already loved me so much. He's gonna love me even more. There's more love to receive. I mentioned last Sunday that the weekend before I'd gone home to Kentucky for a quick visit with mom who's in the nursing home with dementia. She still knows us, doesn't know much else, but she knows us. And I left Friday morning, got there in time for lunch and met my sister, her husband, and their oldest daughter, Misty, for lunch. And and afterward, we were going to the nursing home, and my sister, Greta, said, um, now let us go in first. You wait. Because we want to see how mom reacts when you come in since you're her favorite. <laughs> and so I waited out in the hall, and they went in, 
And I opened the door, come in, mom's sitting in the recliner. First time she'd been out of bed in about three or four weeks. She's sitting in the recliner and she sees me and her eyes get big and her mouth opens and she throws out her arms and says, get over here and give me a hug. And mom, when we leave, I mean, over and over, I love you, I love you, tell Monisa, I love her, tell Jacqueline, you know, I love you, I, I, I love you. We talked to her on the phone, FaceTime, I love you. I mean, she can't stop saying it. And she's going to keep doing that until the day she doesn't know us. Jesus is never going to forget you. He's never going to stop loving you. And he's going to embrace you and welcome you with more and more love when he comes the next time. He said, in my father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. When I come again, I will receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. He's going to welcome you with a hug. He's going to love you. He's going to know you. He says, I know the number of hairs in your head, your thoughts before you think them. I know you. I love you. And that is never going to change. And when he comes the next time, you're going to experience even more love than you already have from your Savior and Lord. Isn't that going to be a good day? The third blessing when Jesus shows up the next time. All of your critics, those who make fun of you, those who put you down because of your faith, because of your obedience, because of your belief in the word of God, because you're standing for truth, because of your love for Jesus. All of your critics will be silenced. And the only thing coming out of their mouth will be words of praise to God. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. He said, keep your behavior excellent or beautiful, lovely, wonderful among the Gentiles, those who are far from God, so that live right, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, those four from God who attack you. We live in a culture like in the Old Testament days of the judges, in a culture where what is godly is called evil. And what is evil, what is sinful, is called good and right. And if you hold to faith in Christ and obedience to his truth and his teaching about what is sinful and what is righteous and what is good and what is not, you will be slandered. You will be attacked. You will be criticized as evildoers. You don't love. How dare you judge? Why can you be so narrow-minded not to just agree with and approve of everything that anybody wants to think or do? 
What do you believe is right and wrong and truth and falsehood? You narrow-minded, unloving, unkind hypocrite. Trying to talk to you as though they know more about God's word than you do. Just think about the insanity of that for a moment. And what he says is, you live an excellent life. You, you stay faithful. You stay true, even though they attack you as an evildoer when you do what is right. So they, 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 they can observe your behavior. And here and now, they'll criticize you. But on that day, because of your good deeds, they will glorify God in the day of visitation when Jesus visits, when he comes back, when there's the judgment. You know, Reggie White, one of the greatest defensive football players in, 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 in history. He's in the Pro Football Hall of the NFL Hall of Fame. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Most of his career with the Eagles or the Packers. I think he spent one year with the Panthers after he retired and came back for one year when he shouldn't have. But anyway, great, great player, Hall of Famer, all pro, et cetera, all American, all, all of that, all of that. He's also, he was also an ordained minister, very outspoken in his faith. And he was very outspoken that uh, homosexuality, that lifestyle is contrary to God's word and it's a sin. And so when he retired, CBS refused to hire him for their NFL Today show on Sundays because of his stance. One of the greatest players of all time, but his stance made him unemployable with CBS. This was 20 years ago. ESPN's come out now with a new documentary that acknowledges his, his greatness as a player and all the good things he did in the communities where he played and lived, and, but also criticizes him for his position on homosexuality. In fact, the, 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 the director, one of the two directors of the, of the documentary in an interview, in an interview, referred to that part of Reggie White's life as the bad and ugly part of Reggie White. And so he says, the Gentiles, those who are far from God, will criticize you, attack you as an evildoer when you do what is right. But on the day of visitation, the tables are turned and they will shut up. They will be silenced. And they will give glory to God because the Bible tells us in Philippians that on that day, every knee, including those of your critics, will bow. And every tongue, including those of your critics, will confess, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Won't do them any good because it's too late. But they will stand there before God on that day and they will say, you're God, I'm not. And they will say, you were right and I was wrong. One of the blessings when Jesus comes the next time is there will not be any critics. They will be silenced for eternity. 
And that's going to be a blessing. It's going to be tragic for a lot of people. Followers of Jesus, it's going to be a great day. Fourth blessing. Fourth blessing. You're going to celebrate like you've never celebrated in your life. You're going to have the biggest party. You're going to get excited. If you never raised your hands in church, you're going to raise both of them and dance in heaven. It's going to be a holdout. You're going to celebrate. Look what he said in chapter 4, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. He said, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing so that, so that also at the revelation, the second coming, the next advent of his glory, the second coming of Jesus in his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. And I was really intrigued by that, rejoice with exultation. Well, that's saying the same thing. What is that really getting at? NIV translates it, be overjoyed. The New King James, be glad with exceeding joy. So I, I got my Greek New Testament out and looked it up, and it's two different words back to back. And the first word means to rejoice, to be glad, to be full of joy. The second word means to celebrate exceedingly. So get this picture. He said, you are to have joy, be glad, be full of it, and celebrate exceedingly with abundance. Go overboard. Now think about all the times you've gotten really excited and happy in life. Celebrated. Jumped up and down, clapped, cried, screamed, whatever it was. You were happy and you you. Celebrate. I did a little celebrating yesterday afternoon when my cats beat the Tar Heels. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But the most fun I've ever had at a sporting event, and I went crazy, was in December of 2019 when Stephen and I drove up to Charlotte and went to the Belk Bowl, Kentucky playing Virginia Tech. Neither of them playing for any title so-so seasons, and they're playing. And I'm down there with all the Kentucky fans on one side of the stadium. And the reason it was so exciting was all of our quarterbacks had been injured for the season. And in midseason, we started playing our wide receiver running back at quarterback. And somehow went on a winning streak. And so we're playing the Hokies in the belt bowl. We trail the entire game. Our running back quarterback completes six passes. You don't win many games when you only complete six passes. That was it. But he ran the ball 34 times for 233 yards. Virginia Tech knew he was going to run. They couldn't do anything about it. He was just that good, and our line was that good. But we trailed the whole game. About nine minutes to go, we're down six points in the fourth quarter on our own 15-yard line. And that running back quarterback takes us on an 85-yard drive. I think it's 18 plays. Took all but 15 seconds off the clock. And with 15 seconds to go and no timeouts, we're on the 13-yard line. We can't run the ball again because if he doesn't score a touchdown, game's over. We can't stop the clock. And so he has to throw, and he's only completed five passes in the game. And he throws a 13-yard touchdown pass, and my cell phone ended up about three rows in front of me. 
I mean, I went crazy. I, I Listen, I've been to basketball games when we won regional championships and went to the Final Four. I, I've, listen, I've, I have never celebrated like I did on that touchdown pass. I mean, we're hugging and, and high-fiving total strangers. It's a blast. But when we see our Lord, that's going to be nothing. That will be nothing. Because we are going to be so glad and so full of joy and celebrate exceedingly. It's going to be, it's going to be a fantastic moment. And that's a blessing. You will experience the next time Jesus comes. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? Fifth and final blessing. When he comes the next time, he's going to give you every gift he's ever promised you. Everything he's ever promised you, you are going to receive. He's already given us a lot, but he's not given us everything he's going to give us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, look with me at verse 4. He says, when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, his next coming, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, the opening four verses of chapter five are written to people like me, to preachers, pastors, elders, under shepherds, serving under the chief shepherd. And in those four verses, he says, if a pastor, elder, a shepherd, if you're faithful and you do the right stuff and you do it well, you're going to be rewarded and he's going to give those kind of shepherds a crown, a crown of glory. So you say, well, pastor, okay, I get that for you. What does that have to do with me? The New Testament makes it really clear. Every faithful follower of Jesus is going to receive some kind of crown. In James 1, he says those who persevere trials because they love him will receive a crown of life. In 2 Timothy 4, we're told those who love Jesus and are not ashamed of him will receive a crown of righteousness like the one the Apostle Paul received. In 1 Corinthians 9, we're told that Disciples, believers who run the race of the Christian life with discipline and don't quit will receive an imperishable wreath or crown. See, in the Olympics of the first century, not just in Greece, but throughout the Roman Empire, a champion, a winner of any event received a crown, not, not, a, not a, um, a, a medal, but a crown made of leaves and flowers that would eventually fade. But he says faithful followers of Jesus are going to receive an unfading crown at last. Now, what exactly are these crowns? I don't know. Nobody does. What I do know is we're going to love them. They're going to be so meaningful 
They're going to bless us. Um, I remember before mom became a believer, my sister and I were believers and mom had started going to church a little bit, but she wasn't saved yet. At Christmas that year, she gave me a gift and it was her way of loving me and affirming me. And so she gave, she, she gave me as a gift, one of the gifts was, was a Bible. But now remember, mom hadn't been in church much and she didn't know. So she, her Bible that she, the Bible she bought me was a big old family Bible. Not very practical, but it meant the world to me. And I still have it. And she wrote a note in it. And this, before she, this is before she became a believer. And what she was saying was, I support you. I love you. And even though it wasn't practical, it meant the world to me and still does. I may, I may preach from it when I preach her funeral. And I don't know what the crowns that Jesus is going to give those of us who are faithful will be. But what I know is, man, they're going to mean something. They're going to be precious to us. They're going to be special. They're going to mean a lot. And we're going to love them. And they're going to bless our hearts. And I know we'll hang on to them because they're unfading. You know, sort of like eternal life. And an eternal home. And the crown of righteousness. You, you, do you know how, how bad you feel when as a Christian you sin or you mess up and, and maybe you're not quite as close to God? And it's just a bad feeling, right? Can you imagine because you're righteous in heaven, you never feel that way again because you never mess up? You never disobey, you never sin. And, and imagine nobody ever has to correct you because you never mess up. It's going to be wonderful. And so there are so many blessings we will have, we will receive when Jesus comes again. That's why I love that old African-American spiritual from the 1800s. I'm going to lay my burdens down. By the riverside, you heard that? Gonna lay down my heavy load by the riverside. Gonna try on my long white robe by the riverside. Gonna try on my starry crown by the riverside. Gonna talk with the Prince of Peace by the riverside. What a day. I just want to say, hey, Jesus, come on. <laughs> come on. Let's not wait anymore. Come on, Jesus. Say it. Come on, Jesus. There's only one reason he's waiting. Just one reason. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, the promise of coming back, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The only Jesus isn't coming back right now is to give you another chance to get saved. And there are people in this room right now. You believe Jesus is real, but you haven't given your life to him. You have not repented of your sin and made him the Lord and Savior of your life. You've not surrendered to him. You've not committed yourself to him. 
and you're not saved. You're still in your sin. Jesus died on the cross, as we talked about last Sunday, to pay for your sin, to bring you to God. But you've not allowed him to do that in your life. He died for you, but you've not given your life to him. If you died today or Jesus came back today, all of these blessings we've talked about this morning, not one of them would be yours. Not one. Because you've not repented of your sin and come to Jesus. You've not been saved. You're not following Jesus. I'm going to give you the opportunity and I'm going to ask you to be saved right now. To come to Jesus right now. Pastors are going to stand at this altar. We're going to sing a song. And I'm asking you, because you want to be saved and you want to receive these blessings, to leave where you are and come to one of these pastors and say, I need to be saved. I need Jesus. I'm coming to confess my sin, to repent of my sin and come to God.